have your Bibles, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, I want to begin reading in verse number 20 and read through verse 31. I'm going to ask you to stand tonight as we read this passage. I just can't, I can't uh, help but think that we ought to show reverence to this particular passage. I mean, they're all important. But when we talk about the cross, I get a little bit emotional and I want you to uh, pay close attention to the words. Mark chapter 15, verse number 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, the Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him into the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand, and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyeth the temple and buildeth it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself. He cannot save. Let's pray. God, help us to glean from your word this evening. I pray, Father, you give us a fresh glimpse of the cross. May your precious word penetrate our hearts and soften our hearts and compel us to be more faithful. Help us, Lord, to have a burden for lost souls. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ and the pardon and remission of sins, I pray, especially for that individual or those individuals, that you would convict them of sin and help them to realize their need of a Savior and believe that Jesus and Jesus Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And we'll praise you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When I read this passage of Scripture, it's always best for me to read it aloud. And every time I read this passage of Scripture aloud, it speaks to my heart. Not my head, but my heart. And it reminds me that I have an obligation, that I have a debt that I owe to the world. 
Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He saved me 52 years ago. And I've never gotten over the fact I deserve hell, but he saved me. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. God knows I'm not perfect. Spend some time with me, you'd see. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just like you. And I have a desire to be a blessing to others. I have a desire to win souls. I have a desire to plant the seed. And God told us to be sowers of the seed, not keepers of the aquarium. Too many people think that their job, their vocation as a child of God is just to attend church. That's not all you're supposed to be doing. I I like the fact that your pastor compels you to pass out tracts and to share the gospel with other people because that's our vocation. We're ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who are saved. And we are to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that would glorify him. And as we look at this particular passage of scripture, I thought about the cross because it is the central theme of all that I believe. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Couldn't have resurrected unless he died. And he died on the cross of Calvary. Paul says that the preaching of the cross is vital. Too often we've become accustomed, too accustomed to the cross. We see it on top of churches. We see it around people's necks. We see it on the back of automobiles. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But we must remember that the cross was a means of execution. It was the most horrible way a person could die in the days of Christ 2,000 years ago. I don't know that that's changed. To be crucified was a terrible way to die. As a matter of fact, when we think about the cross, we have to realize that God's word is replete with mentions of the cross for a reason. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, the Apostle Paul wrote, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. People have different opinions of the cross. Bible says that the cross can be an offense to some people. Why is it an offense to people? Because it it causes them to realize that they're not keeping the word of God. They're not in line with the word of God. And it offends them to think of the cross. Well, there are different ways that people view it. To the Jews, Paul said it's a stumbling block. A stumbling block. And that word stumbling block in the Greek was scandalon. 
You've heard of the word scandalous? That's the same word. A trap, a snare. Something that trips up a person and causes them to fall. If something is scandalous, it's a trap. It's a snare. A false accusation. People can accuse you falsely. Cause a scandal, if you will. To the Jews, the idea that Messiah died on a cross. To them, that was scandalous. That was foolishness to the Greek. The Greeks called it moriah. Ridiculous, irrational. That God would come down in the form of man just to die on a cross. How ridiculous. That's the way the Greeks viewed it. They considered it to be foolishness. A moron is someone who is foolish. Comes from the same word, moriah. To the Greeks... It was moronic foolishness. But the Bible says, to those of us who are saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God. It's the power of God because it was by the cross that God destroyed the kingdom of Satan and broke the grip of sin. And all of us were born in sin. We are all born wrong. That's why we must be born again. We were all born with this guilt, with this conviction. We have been born as sinners. Sinners sin because they're sinners. Just like birds fly because they're birds and dogs bark because they're dogs and fish swim because they're fish. Sinners sin because they're sinners. It is the wisdom of God because by the cross, God used this particular means in order to provide salvation to you and I. And no one could have possibly imagined that the cross would provide that means of salvation to us. Think about that. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that had men realized that Jesus dying on the cross was the purpose and plan of God, from eternity past, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 1.7 But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan thought he had won. Oh, he must have rejoiced after Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He must have thought we finally killed the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. The seed of a woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. But he must have been sorely disappointed three days later when that tomb was vacated by Jesus Christ. Today I want to declare the message of the cross, and I want to look at four particular points. It wasn't a weak message. It wasn't a foolish message. But rather it was a message 
of the power and the wisdom of God. The first point I want to look at tonight is that the cross is a message of torment. A message of torment. What do I mean by that? Well, three times in the Gospel of Mark, we just read that Jesus was crucified. Crucified. And when you think about the death of Christ, as I said, it was a horrible, painful, hideous death. Like no other means of execution. As a matter of fact, it was so painful that we get the word excruciating from the word, the two Latin words, ex cruciare, ex out of. Cruciare means the cross. And out of the cross, we get the word excruciating. I know I had wisdom teeth cut out and I bruised all the way down into my chest and I had stitches in my mouth and it was excruciating. I've had other procedures over the years where it was painful. It was excruciating. Women giving birth, they say it's excruciating. I'll never know, thank God. But they say it's excruciating. There are a lot of things that are excruciating. But nothing is more excruciating than the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. In Isaiah 52, 14, listen to what God's word said concerning Jesus as he was taken to the cross. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All of that took place before he went to the cross. Before he went to the cross. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53 says. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Of all the painful things that happened on the cross, I suspect that was the most painful. Jesus, who never sinned, the Son of God, without spot, without blemish, who came to this earth where there was darkness, he brought light. Where there was hatred, he brought love. Where there were lies, he brought truth. He never sinned, not one time. Yet your sin and my sin was laid upon him. Jesus became a murderer because some people have murdered. Some people have lied. He became a liar because he bore your sins and my sin. He took upon himself every sin, adultery, hatred, bigotry, homosexuality, and so many more sins we can name. And Jesus brought them all upon himself. He bore your sin and mine. 
When Jesus was taken to Golgotha, the place of the skull, we know it as Mount Calvary. There was a lictor, a man with a nail apron and a big hammer. And he pulled the nails out of his apron and he drove spikes, I believe, through the wrist of Jesus. The Romans learned how to extend the suffering of the victim of crucifixion. And so they learned that by bending the knees, by bending the knees of the victim and placing one foot over top of the other and bending their knees, that the person on the cross in that position would not die quickly. You see, when a person dies upon the cross, it's not from loss of blood, it's from asphyxiation. Asphyxi his chest cavity, uh, his abdomen, and all of that, it would constrict because of the pain, the excruciating pain. And that person who was on the cross, he would begin to suffocate. And so he would push on the spike in his feet and raise up so he could breathe. <gasps> but when the pain became too much, he would drop back down into this position. And after a while, the constriction began again. And he would suffer from suffocation. And he would push. And there was this constant up and down, up and down upon the cross of Calvary. That's the torment of the cross. But there was also the tragedy of the cross. The tragedy. Christ was mocked by his enemies in Jerusalem. Pilate came and presented Jesus before the nation of Israel, before the people living there in Jerusalem. And he also brought out a man by the name of Barabbas. And Jesus is brought before the people, the Jews. And Pilate wanted to mock Jesus. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Jesus was paraded naked through the streets of Jerusalem carrying the beam of a cross. He had already been beaten by the soldiers. He had already been mocked. He had already received a cat of nine tails upon his back. And Jesus is carrying that wooden cross. Can you imagine the picture in Jerusalem? I've been to Israel 19 times. I, I've, I've walked a Via, Via Della Rosa. I've walked the way of the cross and what they consider traditionally to be the way of the cross. And I can't even imagine walking on that same road the pain that Jesus must have felt. Finally, when Jesus was hung upon the cross, his enemies continued to mock him as we read in the Gospel of Mark chapter 15. Notice verse 29. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, oh, thou that 
destroyeth the temple, buildeth it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the cross. That was mockery. No one in the history of crucifixion had ever come down from the cross. And Jesus had been nailed to the cross for you and for me. Could he have come down? (laughs) Well, I'll leave that for you to figure out because this next verse, likewise also the chief priests mocking among themselves with the scribe. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. What do you think of that verse? That's a true verse. That's truth. What do you mean that's truth? Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, 72,000. He could have called legions to come and rescue him. He didn't need anyone to rescue him. He could have spoken the words and obliterated them all. But Jesus came to die. Therefore, Jesus could not save himself. He could not have gotten off of the cross. If he had gotten off the cross, you and I would be lost. And Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was to, for his son to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. When John the Baptist stood in the Jordan River and Jesus came and approaching John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus could save no one by his virgin birth. He could save no one by his spotless, sinless life. He could save no one by the miracles that he performed. He could save no one by going to the cross alone. The Bible says that Jesus came to taste death for all men. All men means all men. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you can be saved tonight. Because the Bible says you can. There were two major tragedies about the cross. Number one, it was a tragedy that the Jews did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. He had already confessed that he was the Messiah when he was in Nazareth in Isaiah 61. And then also you can read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was reading from the prophet Isaiah and he talked about the verses there and he said, this day is this fulfilled in your eyes, your ears. I am the Messiah. He told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, that he was the Messiah. And as the Messiah, he came to taste death. To do for us what we can never do for ourselves. It's a tragedy that they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. If anyone should have recognized Jesus as Messiah, it should have been the Jew. For them... To them was given the oracles of God and the prophets. It's also a tragedy that man is so depraved that he would crucify anyone. Man killing other men. Think about what happened on October the 7th of last year when those Hamas terrorists came into Israel and they killed 
12 to 1400 Israelis. Many of them, they beheaded babies. They beheaded babies were cut out of their mother's wombs. Children were forced to see their parents shot and killed. What kind of beast does things like that? What kind of depraved human beings would ever do such things? The worst tragedy in Israel, the worst tragedy among the Jews, I should say, since the Holocaust, when six million Jews were killed by Adolf Hitler, Germany, and also Russia. The cross is also a message of transfer. Very important. This is a very important theological statement I'm about to say. Notice in verse 33, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's at nine o'clock. Jesus was crucified. Darkness came upon the earth at 12 o'clock high noon. Think about that. The brightest part of the day and darkness falls upon the whole land. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's how you ought to read that verse. Not why hast thou forsaken me, but why hast thou forsaken me? The disciples of Christ had already forsaken him and fled, all except the beloved John. His mother was still there, but many of the other disciples forsook him and fled, the Bible says. And now Jesus is being forsaken by his father. I want you to realize the importance of this verse. For the first time in eternity, God the Father forsook Jesus the Son. Never before had this happened. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and his sweat became as great drops of blood, the Father was with him. When he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The Father was with him. When soldiers came, led by Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. When the soldiers arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Father was with him. Judas walked up and kissed heaven's door and most likely died and went to hell. He tried to commit suicide, couldn't even do that right. The branch broke and he fell against the rocks and burst. When his disciples forsook him and fled, the Father was with him. Jesus was arrested by the soldiers and taken taken to the high priest. When he was taken to the house of Caiaphas, the father was with him. When they accused him of so many things, and he opened not his mouth, but went as a lamb to the slaughter, the father was with him. When a crown of thorns was plated and pushed upon his head and his brow, and the soldiers played games and they began to push it back and forth, the father was with him. 
When he was beaten, scourged, and mocked, the Father was with him. Think about that. Oh, this big bully probably thought he was something special. He was scourging Jesus of Nazareth. When Pilate presented him with Barabbas, the father was with him. And Barabbas came out and said, you have a custom during Passover that you release a prisoner. Whom would you that I release unto you? Barabbas, a thief, a murderer, or Jesus? And the crowd cried out, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. The father was with him. When he was forced to carry his cross to Calvary, the father was with him. Think about this. Why was Jesus carrying his cross? He carried the cross because only the convicted, only the guilty was to carry a cross. But then Jesus was relieved of that by Simon the Cyrenian because Jesus wasn't guilty. Man was guilty. When he was nailed to the old rugged cross, the Father was with him. When he was mocked and railed by the crowd, the Father was with him. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. And both thieves began to mock him as they hung also upon crosses. Until finally one of them said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He hung on the cross from 9 o'clock until noon. And while he was hanging there, the, the Father was with him. But what happened at noon? Darkness fell upon the whole world. Why? Because the Father, for the first time in all humanity, the Father had to turn his back on God the Son. And when he turned his back upon God the Son, that was the time. That was the time when your sins and my sins were laid upon him. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But when our sins were imputed unto him, God the Father and all his holiness could no longer look upon God the Son. And he turned out the lights. Then there's the message of triumph. The cross is a message of triumph. Oh, as I said, Satan must have reveled in the fact that Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He's the only one who had the power to do that. You and I can't die on command, but Jesus could. He was the one who created all that there is. And by him all things consist. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. No man killed Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. Jesus said, no man take my life from me. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my father. Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar. And he cried out to Telestire. It is finished bowed his head and gave up the ghost to telestai. That word means it is finished. What can you add to that? 
Water baptism won't save you. Church membership won't save you. Good works won't save you. Giving money to the offering plate won't save you. You can't add anything to what Jesus did for us. That wasn't the cry of a victim. That was the cry of a victor. And Jesus was triumphant. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Praise God. One preacher said that to Telestai was the greatest word spoken by the greatest man on the greatest day. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Spurgeon said to Telestai conveys an ocean of meaning in a drop of language. It would need all other words ever spoken or ever could be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether, in un, it's, he says, immeasurable. His death signaled the defeat of Satan, sin, and separation. And Jesus became our scapegoat. Jesus became the propitiation for our sin. That word means that which appeases a holy, righteous God. Only his death could appease God the Father. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24... And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. The cross of Christ is a triumph for all who receive him. For all who receive. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Today Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come. That's what Jesus says. You see what? Well, Preacher, you don't know what I've done in the past. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Jesus bore your sin on the cross. He, he didn't bear my sin I committed yesterday. Listen, folks, when he died on the cross, every sin was in the future that we have. He died for them all. He'll never die again. He rose from the dead victoriously. Because he lives, the Bible says we can live also. Bow your heads, please. I don't know how many of you have been saved or how many are not saved. It's between you and God. But I tell you today, right now, you can be saved. If you are saved, I hope that God gave you a, a fresh glimpse of the cross tonight. A fresh glimpse of the cross. And I pray that you would come to Jesus Christ and be saved. If you're lost, if you are saved, I pray that you would become more faithful. You say, preacher, I'm as faithful as I can be. Well, keep on keeping on, so I can tell you. But if there's someone here that needs to come and pray, rededicate their life, or maybe you want to come and pray for a lost loved one, a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, someone that you know. Ask God to help you be a witness to them. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.